Greetings, Team Ajulam. Karibuni sana tena. We are now on the seventh episode of the Daniel series. And it's been a tremendous blessing so far. And today, I know this is meant to be the last episode, but I think we're going to have one more. <laughs> but anyway, that's besides the point. I'm sure you guys have already gotten used to... Uh, the shifting goalposts <laughs> anyway so today i want us to be able to talk about something that is what i consider to be the subtle yet great enemy of our souls this is what we're going to be talking about today today but i will reveal this to you a little bit later but for now what i want you to do i want you to pause this video like we all we have been doing i want you to pause this video and i want you to go and read daniel chapter 4 go read daniel chapter 4 and when you're done i want you to come back and then continue watching this video so pause now and go read daniel chapter 4. welcome back welcome back now in the chapter that you just read what we see is nebuchadnezzar giving a testimony right giving a testimony there is no test without a testimony wait there's no testimony without a test that just came up. Anyway, so King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a mighty king, and at this point in time, he has a vast empire and is the most powerful king in the world at this point in time. And he was a man who had accomplished many, many exploits during his time as king. And at this point in time, there is literally no greater king in all the earth. The fact that he has such military might and the splendor of Babylon. Babylon is so beautiful and amazing with all these amazing architectural exploits that he has accomplished. And so at this point in time, he is at the top of his game. You know what I'm saying? It's at the top of his game. And so what this chapter does is that it begins with him giving testimony to the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done in his life. Right? So he writes this letter to the inhabitants of the kingdom. Now, I want you to understand how extraordinary this is. You know, at the point in time, at this point in time, King Nebuchadnezzar would be considered to be a heathen king by the Israelites, right? He's not an Israelite, so the guy is a heathen. He's a heathen king. He's an uncircumcised Babylonian. <laughs> and so, when we see this chapter beginning with this king giving testimony of God's greatness in his life, it is quite extraordinary, right? And in verse 2, he starts by saying, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You know, before I continue, I want to ask you a question. What are some of the things and the mighty wonders that God has worked for you? Like you see how this guy starts his, 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 his testimony. What are some of the things that God has worked for you? And I think today would be a great time for you to begin to start to write those things down. Today is a good day to remember what God has worked on your behalf recently. And also, I believe that it's important to get into the habit of doing this, the habit of recording your testimonies, right? So I've started doing this in terms of where when something amazing happens, I will go and, big or small, go and just basically write it down on my phone into my notes as a way to just remember the mighty things that God has, has done and is continually doing in my life. And I pray that you would also do the same. Just like Nebuchadnezzar did here giving testimony, I pray that you would also be able to give testimony because you've been recording these things. Anyway, the testimony that the king gives is a very profound one, right? He details how 
he had yet another dream, but at this time it was different from the first time. Remember when we studied how he at that time wasn't, I think it's in chapter 2, wasn't willing to give, uh, tell people what the dream was, right? Uh, the enchanters and the wise men. He didn't want to tell them what the dream was, but this time he actually does tell them what the dream is, but none of them is able to interpret it, right? Now, it's almost as though for me, which is quite fascinating, how Nebuchadnezzar had just, in Daniel chapter 2, you know, he had met with Daniel, and Daniel was the one who was able to interpret his dream. Not only just interpret his dream, but also tell him what his dream was and interpret it. But it's just interesting how here he's having the same challenge, and he's, he's just there like, who can help me? It's like, brah, Daniel, Daniel. Remember Daniel? Anyway, at some point, Daniel comes into the scene, he remembers him, and he's able to assist him to interpret the, dim, the dream. Now, the thing is, is that the interpretation of the dream was the Lord revealing to the king what was going to happen to him in the future, right? About how he was basically going to lose his mind, lose his kingdom, and regain it back, right? This was what the, 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 the Lord was, was saying to the king through this dream. And the thing that happens is that a year later, the thing that God said would happen, happens. Now, what's interesting to note here is that before, you know, we um, proceed is that the dream happens a year after it had been declared. You know, I don't know if, uh, if, if you, you know, the thing for me that's kind of fascinating is the fact that, like, you know, there are times where God will say a word and it will happen instantly. And there are times where he'll say something and it will take... A, a period of time before it comes to pass. So in the case of over here for the king, it took uh, one year. In the case of Abraham, it's, it's like the promise that he was given took 20 years. You know, and, it's, uh, and, and there are moments where he will speak and it happens uh, almost instantly what it is that the Lord says that he's going to do. And the thing is, is that, you know, the timing really doesn't matter. What's important to take note of is the fact that God's word will never fail. God's word will never fail. That is the thing to take out of this, right? Whether it happens instantly or it happens in a year or it happens in 20 years, God's word will never fail. You know, and it's important for also for not to live in this misunderstanding because this happened to me personally where I remember during the time when COVID was happening, a week before that, God had given me a word about the storm. That there was a storm that was about this, this storm. And, you know, for me, I recognize that this was a word that God had given me literally a week before COVID happens, right? And the thing is, is that now the next year, at about the same time, God gives me another word. And it was a word from Isaiah 43 where it talks about, you know, all things have become new. are making streams in the wasteland, rivers in the desert. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember last year when God gave me a word, it was fulfilled in a week. So in my head, I was just like, ah, my guy, in, in like a week, <laughs> everything going to change. Well, didn't quite happen. But the point is this. <laughs> <laughs> is that there's sometimes where the manifestation of it will happen instantly, and there's sometimes where the word of God, the manifestation will happen after a period of time, right? And we always have to have that in mind because when we have that consciousness, then we're not just over here always like for me for a long time where I'd hear a word and literally immediately I'm like, eh, when's this thing gonna happen? You get what I'm saying? So the word of God will never fail. Anyway, let's move on. So in this case for Nebuchadnezzar, it was a year. It was a year before this word comes to pass. And how it began, it says, is when he was walking on the roof of his royal palace and he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 
how amazing is that? Is that like this guy now he's at a place where he's now literally at the top of his game and he's looking at his all his things and he's just there like, my goodness, look at how great the things that I have done. Look at how mighty I am. Look at how glorious my majesty is. Right? Phew. You know, so interesting about this guy is that, you know, this thing that had been prophesied to him, he had even been told it would hang. At least for him, him, you know, sometimes God doesn't give timeline. At least him, him, he had a timeline. Him, he was already told that in, in a year, this thing is going to happen to you. And it really actually does. His pride manifests itself a year later. Right? That it says, no sooner than had he spoken, his judgment came. His royal authority was taken away and he went mad. Right? You know, earlier on I talked about the subtle um, enemy of our souls, right? And that subtle enemy that I was referring to is pride. The king had become proud. To the extent where the guy is looking at all these things and just marveling at all his works, not recognizing that every single thing he had, and even how God speaks of Nebuchadnezzar, even in the book of Jeremiah, where he talks of Nebuchadnezzar as his servant, as his tool, as the the, the fact that he, he was his chosen instrument. But Nebuchadnezzar had become so proud that he had not been, in a sense, acknowledged or had seen that the things that were happening in his life were not on account of his own glory and might, but it was because of what God was doing through him. And so this is what Daniel tells him in regards to the interpretation of the dream in verse 24. He says to him, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Whew. God had already told him what was going to happen to him because of his pride. But a year later, Nebuchadnezzar had not changed. The very thing that had been prophesied to him happens. All this because Nebuchadnezzar refused to acknowledge who butters his bread and where his power came from. And when his sanity, by the grace of God, was restored, so humbled was this great king that he declares, that and it says here, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted, res resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of, those, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. And so what we witness, what's happening here, what we witness in Daniel chapter 4, is the prevailing disease that we all at one point in time suffer from, which is pride. Oftentimes what happens 
to us is that we live under this illusion of control that literally overcomes us. Where we look at our achievements, like Nebuchadnezzar, where we look at the things that we've been able to accomplish and do, or we look at the things that we've been able to acquire and have, right? And we think to ourselves that all these things we were able to accomplish because of our own might, because of our own power, and because of our own majesty. Not recognizing, just like Nebuchadnezzar, like for example with Nebuchadnezzar, that he was a servant of the Most High God, and that everything comes from him. That everything comes from God. And the thing that's so interesting is this, is that this is such a subtle enemy of the soul. It is such a subtle and prevailing disease of the soul. Pride. That we see in chapter 5 that literally Nebuchadnezzar's son has a similar challenge and experience. Nebuchadnezzar's son Belshazzar has a vision that he cannot interpret. And so Daniel comes to him to assist him. And in chapter 5 from verse 18, he says to the king, this is what Daniel says to the king, Your majesty, the most high God gave you sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor. Sorry, let me start again. Your majesty, the most high gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor anything at all, nor know anything at all, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. So what happened at this point in time is that Belshazzar had the same challenge like his father, which is pride. Where Daniel, Daniel literally says to him, but you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. The thing about pride is that it is such a subtle and dangerous enemy, mostly because it is very difficult to identify. It is such a difficult thing to detect. When it comes to diagnosing our hearts, those of us who have the disease of pride have a challenging time identifying our weakness. Pride can affect how we see, how we listen, how we approach situations. And the Word of God tells us, and shows us many, 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 many times that literally God humbles the proud but gives grace to the humble. That he humbles the proud but gives grace to the humble. I like what one writer said in regards to Nebuchadnezzar that he fell from grace to grass because of his pride. Now the thing is today like you know, one of the things to recognize is that pride manifests itself in very many different ways. But allow me to just mention three ways today. Three ways in which 
pride manifests itself. I'm sure there are many other ways, but I just want to be able to just point out three things that we can look at today. The first one is this, is where we live our lives as though we are the ones in charge. Now, the thing is, is that oftentimes they, they, there are many times where you're like, you know, God is in control. But let me show you just, you know, how it is that sometimes we live our lives as though we are the ones in charge. And there's two things that I just want to point out. There's two indicators that would allow us to let us know if this is an ailment in our lives, that an ailment of control. One is a lack of praise or gratitude. And the other is about your prayer life. Now, the thing is that's so interesting is that in a world that literally glorifies self-achievement, it is easy for us to think, just like Nebuchadnezzar, that the things happening in our lives are solely on account of our brilliant efforts. We also take for granted or fail to recognize the daily privileges that we currently enjoy on account of God's tremendous grace in our lives. And so like Nebuchadnezzar, he's here, he has been able to accomplish all these great exploits, but does not recognize the grace behind his ability to be able to accomplish all these things. And so unfortunately, what happens is that the only times when we get to appreciate, for example, good health, is when our health is compromised. Or when we learn to honor God with our wealth is only when provision is taken away. And the thing is, is that like Nebuchadnezzar, the warnings are there, but we only learn the lesson once we are forcibly humbled. Now the thing is to realize is that a lack of praise and gratitude towards God is a sure sign that you are living under the illusion of control, which is pride. There are many of us who are living in the things that we've literally prayed for, but have completely forgotten about that. When things do not go our way, we begin to grumble and complain against the Lord, manifesting our pride. Praise and gratitude is one of the ways in which we humble ourselves before Him, where we live in conscious recognition of Him, conscious recognition, right? That we live in conscious gratitude towards Him. Praise forces us to remember his goodness and silences our proud heart. It forces us to remember why all the things that are happening in our lives are possible. All the things in the past that happened are possible. And all the things that are going to happen are possible. Praise is the thing that puts us in that space that allows us to be able to recognize and see and not take anything for granted. But recognizing that the reason why we are able to do what we are able to do, it is because of God's presence in our lives and his grace in our lives. Now the thing that is so interesting is that in Daniel 4, notice that it is soon after Nebuchadnezzar honors and glorifies God that things begin to turn around for him. Notice that, that when he begins to do that, that when he, by God's grace his sanity is restored, that when he begins to glorify God and honor him, that is when things begin to turn around for him. The thing is this, your lack of praise and gratitude is pride. Now, the other way we know we have this control ailment in our lives is through our prayer life. People who do not pray are saying that they're in control of their destiny. One of the marks of a person that has humbled themselves before the Lord is evidenced in their prayer life. People who pray regularly demonstrate their need for God. For some, it may be ritual. But for others, it is an indication of where their help comes from. In Daniel 6, it says of Daniel in verse 10, 
But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. I love how it says, he went home and knelt down as usual, giving thanks to God and asking for his help. This was Daniel's MO. This is how he operated, giving thanks to God and asking for his help, giving thanks to God and asking for his help. And he did this regularly, regularly, which showed and is an indicator of where his help came from. This wasn't just a matter of ritual. This was a matter of the recognition that this is where his help comes from. And it's so amazing because now you're able to understand because by the time chapter 6 is happening, Daniel is, a, is, is much older at this point in time. So now we're able to understand so all these other miraculous things that we're seeing happening in this guy's life are because literally, in a very literal sense, he had humbled himself before the Lord. And it says that God humbles the proud, but he lifts up the humble. He gives grace to the humble. In Matthew 23 and verse 12, it says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is why we know and we see Daniel growing from strength to strength. In spite of whatever opposition came against him, he was a man who literally lived his life giving thanks to God and asking for his help. Luke 5.16, it says of Jesus that Jesus often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Our prayer life is such a great indicator of the state of our heart, of where we imagine our help comes from. Because this guy was there regularly. But the question is, where do you regularly go for help? Where is it that you regularly go to? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Our prayer life reveals who we believe controls our destiny. This is not about ritual or posturing. This is not about, oh my gosh, you know me, I pray five times a day. Nah, this is not about ritual or posturing. If God is your help, if God is the controller of your destiny, then your prayer life will reveal that to you. The world teaches us to put confidence in everything but God, to put confidence in yourself, to put confidence in others, to put confidence in your connections, to put confidence in your intellect, to put confidence in your wealth, to put confidence in all manner of objects, to put confidence in your family name. But the world will never teach you how to put confidence in the God who it says gives us life and controls our destiny. We would much rather continue to live under the illusion of control rather than come to the realization that we are not in control, God is. And so your lack of gratitude is pride and your scarce prayer is pride. And it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Now, the number two way in which pride manifests itself, the second way is through entitlement. 
Now, this is one that I suffer a lot. <laughs> this is one of my, my, my suffering points, right? The entitlement here that I'm referring to is where we think that God owes us or listens to us because of some good deed that we have done. You know, in Luke 17, from verse 7 to 10, it says that this is Jesus teaching his disciples where he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Wouldn't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you are told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You know, let me tell you something. There are so many times for me personally where I have thought to myself, Lord, I'm over here doing all this work for your kingdom. Why aren't you doing this for me? You know, or where you see God blessing someone. I'll even see the thing where God is blessing someone that you preach to. And then you wonder, Bonahaujani bless, and I'm the one who preached to that person. Right? And the thing about the entitlement, pride, is that it will manifest itself in ways where we are tempted to think to ourselves that the reason God is blessing you is because you did X, Y, and Z. Because you tithed or because you did some good deed, and that's why you have been blessed. And so if for any reason, in God's sovereign will, he decides to take us in a different direction, you're like, but God, I did this and this. Why is this happening to me? I did all these things. Which is interesting now that I think about it. It's kind of like the, the story of Job. How you see in chapter 1, how he used to do all these things preemptively. Go and sacrifice on behalf of his children. Because he's like, I don't want any calamity to come upon them. And so, in a sense, what he did not realize, the enemy knew, is like, the reason why this guy is so blessed is because God had hedged him. It wasn't because of Job's sacrifices. It was because of God's favor upon him. And the thing is, is that entitlement is so subtle, but it is pride. Because there's a difference between entitlement and expectation. Entitlement fixes its eyes on self. Well, expectation fixes its eyes on Jesus. Jesus teaches his disciples in John 17 and verse 23 that at the time, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. For many of us, the reason why God does not honor your request is because you ask in your name and in your godliness. This is pride. But what Jesus teaches us is that the reason we have favor with the Father, the reason why we can live in expectation of God hearing us is because of Him. You know, in Acts chapter 3, when we did the Acts series, we are told of the story of this guy, um, the guy, the, 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 the leper, the guy who had been, his legs had been, uh, he, had, he had been born a, a leper. And it says that the apostles Peter and John came to heal him. This guy who was born lame. And it says that the people who witnessed were completely just astonished at what had just happened. And Peter says to them from verse 12, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The reason 
why God blesses us is because of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the truth that he grants our requests because of Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. He, his name literally means salvation. Our name isn't worthy. Our works are not worthy. Our godliness is not worthy. Only Jesus is worthy. And the thing is that the world has a different reward metric, one that is self-centered, entitlement. God, we have done this. What's up? You owe me one. What's up? You're supposed to be, hey, me have done this. What's up? But in reality, it is on account of Christ Jesus that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. This is not because of ourselves or some good deed we have done. We approach with confidence because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 from verse 14 to 16 says that, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Therefore, let us then approach God's grace, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The reason we approach with confidence is because of Jesus Christ, because we have, as it says here, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. This is why we approach with confidence. And the thing is that our pride is silenced when we realize that everything we have, everything we are able to experience from God comes not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you, this is something that I have to remind myself so many times when I go before God. To remember that this is not about, I'm not here to bargain and, and to have these deals, with, to come here and have deals with God. Because my name isn't worthy. I have to remind myself of this when I approach God, that he will often remind me that my eyes are to be fixed on Jesus and not myself. This is the reason I'm able to go and ask for forgiveness, because my eyes are not fixed on that, Lord, I promise I will never, me, I promise if you forget, I will never. No, my eyes are fixed on what Jesus has done for me. And are fixed on the fact that he says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That our thing is that we cannot approach God with a sense of entitlement. We need to remember that in as much as God is so loving and gracious, he is the boss. And he is sovereign. And he's also the one who runs things. And how we do that is that we must stay focused and our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ alone, who is able and worthy. Amen? Amen. And then the last thing is this, is that how pride manifests itself is in how we see others. In Luke 18 from verse 9 to 14, Jesus tells us, and allow me to read, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week 
and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Same scripture here, that God humbles the proud but gives grace to the humble. The thing is about pride is that it causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves and instead have a keen eye for the evil we see in others. This causes us not to see the goodness in others. Right? Just recently I was having a conflict, I had a, I had a situation with someone where I was accusing them of lying to me. I'm like, how dare you lie to me? <laughs> how dare you? How dare you lie to me? And as I'm there seething in my anger <laughs> of having been lied to, God very subtly comes to speak to me and tells me, but see, even you, you lie. <laughs> hey! And I'm telling you, I sat there just as for like, God, why can't you just leave me in my own self-righteousness here and pride? But the reality is this, is that you're literally sitting there looking at the speck in another person's eye when you have a log in yours. So offended, so offended that someone has lied to you, yet you yourself, you yourself, Saeed, as a count, you're just like, man, I lied to so-and-so, I lied to this person. And the thing is, is that this is literally how pride manifests itself. Where you are not able, just like this guy, this guy who went to the temple, the Pharisee, where he was basically seeing all the sin in others, but cannot see the sin in himself. I was reading an article on pride, and I love how the writer pointed out how there are times where, when sitting through a sermon or studying a passage of scripture, where we ignore the spirit's surgery on our own hearts, and instead what we are doing during that whole time as we are here in this sermon or even studying this passage of scripture thinking, of all the different people who need to hear this. So and so needs to hear this. That time it's like the spirit is talking to you. And the thing is, is that we live in a time where we brutally judge and cancel people as though we ourselves have no sin. As though we ourselves have no downfalls. Right now it's completely out of fashion to show any empathy. We are always ready to cast stones with no consideration for the state of our own hearts and rebellion against God. And this, you know, especially even within the church, where we are a lot more keen to fight the sins which are visible, the things that have a greater impact on how people see us, because that's the thing that we want. We want to make sure that the things that other people, so it's just like, ah, that guy is like this, because there's the visible things, but we never consider that though we have, you know, washed away the visible sins, but there's a lot of bitterness in our hearts. There's a lot of anger in our hearts. There's unforgiveness in our hearts. And so we more easily condemn the people who have visible sins. But for us, who have these hidden things, we allow ourselves to go scot-free. When we judge others and fail to see the sin in our own lives, we are walking in pride. 
When we fail to come to God with a repentant heart, we are walking in pride. Because the reality is that no one's got this. We all daily are in need of his mercy and grace. And God, what he does is that when Jesus is teaching about judging others, he's saying that I want you to be more focused on you before you start here picking on your, the faults of your brother and sister. He's like before, and then it's so interesting because he says, by the time you're looking at the speck, like a small thing in another brother's eye, why is it that you don't see the log that's in yours? Because we all have logs. And the reality is that there's no big sin and small sin in God's eye. There's only sin. And when we look down on others, because they sin different from you, God sees that attitude and he will humble you. A repentant heart is able to ask itself, even in a conflict, how might I have contributed to this situation? Is there something I may have misunderstood in this situation? Jesus tells us that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And the reality of this is this, is that the remedy for this expression of pride in our lives is love. Where we practice seeing others through the lens of Jesus Christ, where literally it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That us is us. Jesus didn't just die for you. He also died for that person that you look down upon as well. Can you imagine that? He also died for that person. That God so loved the world. And not just the world, that God so loved that person. That he gave his only begotten son. So that when they believe in him, they will not perish but have everlasting life. Just like he did for you. That he died for you and for that person. Jesus died for that person you look down on. You're in the same was up. And the thing is that pride, unlike most sins, is very difficult to detect. It's a silent killer. It's a silent killer. That tells us that we can judge others. And the thing is, again, that it says that God will oppose the proud, but he will give grace to the humble. And this is why we must ask the one who searches our hearts to reveal our pride, the pride that is within us, hiding within us, so that we may repent of it. God is faithful and willing to reveal to us any pride that may be lacking within us to help us overcome it. Nebuchadnezzar received a warning a whole year before his madness and did not repent. My prayer for us today is that today would be like that moment that Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. That before he lost his mind, that we ourselves would every single day learn to humble ourselves by fully depending on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, who is able to teach us to remain grateful who is able to teach us how to pray, who is able to teach us how to be humble, and who is able to teach us how to love others as he has loved us. He is able to do it for us, to detect the pride that is in our hearts. And I pray for us that we wouldn't be those guys who start around and just being like the Pharisee to be like, me, I don't have any... In fact, this someone would be so good for so-and-so. The way that guy is proud. <laughs> right? That instead, that we would put ourselves in that hot seat and instead ask the Lord, Father, where am I manifesting pride? I don't want to get to the place like Nebuchadnezzar 
where I'm in the grass. And that is when I recognize that I ought to be humble before you. May you reveal the pride that is in my heart. May you expose it and may you help me overcome. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for today. Father, thank you, King of Heaven, that you are the God who searches our hearts, who knows our deep thoughts, who knows the things that are lurking within us. And Father, we come and we ask specifically in regards to this subtle enemy called pride, that Father, that you would search our hearts and wherever pride is manifest, Lord, would you reveal it to us, that we may be able to overcome. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to be able to humble ourselves before you, our King. Lord, help us. You are our help. And even when pride shows, rears its head, we can only turn to you. And so we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Reveal to us where it is that pride lacks within us and help us to be able to overcome. We thank you for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a strong tower and we as your righteous children run to you that we may find safety. And so we put our confidence in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share it with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then, make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button. Subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys.